episode, Ahmad Shah Abdali returns to the Punjab. This time he is determined to destroy the Sikhs. The Sikhs, unbowed, stand up to him and end up rulers of their homeland, the Punjab. Before we begin the episode, I have some exciting news. The stories that you have enjoyed so much on this podcast are now available in print. Penguin Books recently published the story of the Sikhs 1469-1708, which corresponds to the first two seasons. You have been generous with your praise, listeners, and many of you have contacted us to ask how you can support the Story of the Six podcast. Well, guess what? We are now on Patreon. Please go to tinyurl.com psots and make a contribution, which will help fund our new endeavors, Sarkar, The Rise and Fall of Maharaja Ranjit Singh, and the Gurmat Sangeet podcast. February 5th, 1762, the sun started to rise upon a Bahir, a slow-moving caravan of 30,000 Sikhs that included women, children, and the elderly, six miles north of Malerkotla, close to the village of Kup. The Bahir was ringed by the most formidable warriors of the Sikh Panth, intent on taking the women and children to safety. In the words of Gani Gyan Singh in Panth Prakash, Larat bhirat yon sing sab, line sang bahir, sane sane aage chale, jahi paaye vahir. Jockeying, fighting, thus the six, with their caravan advance, cautiously the caravan moves, vigilant is their stance. Ya bid larat jahe sing chale, marat turkan ko kar halle, sham sing sab aage jai, dahine jassa sing rahai, bai or chadat sing bire, magar ram gadiye reh dhire, nij nij dal line sab bire, larte chale so it tatbire. In this way the sings advance, Mughals they are wont to fight. In the van does ride Sham Singh, Jassa Singh is to the right. On the left, brave Charat Singh, Ram Gadiyas bring up the rear. Thus then with their men in tow, their band do the leaders steer. A large detachment of troops under the command of Qasim Khan, sent by Zan Khan, the governor of Sarand, 
fell upon the Bahir, the six Sardars rushed to the rescue. Tajat Ram Jange Bohotire, Gerat Turkan Ke Tan Chire, Girgir Parhi Turk Gambhire, Tarfat Jo Machalibinire. Fiercely did let arrows fly, Mughal soldiers' bodies pierce, writhing like fish on dry land, fall the Mughals' onslaught fierce. Qasim Khan could not withstand the fierce attack, and his men fled in disarray towards Malerkotla. The battle, however, was far from won. As the sun climbed higher into the sky, from the north was approaching a thundering host of Uzbek horsemen with their swords raised, intent on slaughter. The Sikh chiefs, anticipating further trouble, hurriedly held a council and it was decided that Sekhu Singh Hambawala, a vakil or agent of Sardar Allah Singh and other local Sikhs, would lead the Bahir to safety. Their destination was the fort at Barnala, which was held by Allah Singh. They had barely traveled three miles when Zan Khan, accompanied by Vazir Shah Wali Khan, fell upon the column. Ahmad Abdali had returned, and this time, his attention was on the six. Lekar sen durayan ki koop ke at Ahmad Shah tahai sing lade bar beer jahan sab tyag tine dis ore dhai jaye pareo so bahir ke upar le nij sain saman kasai balak bird khute bahute jahan so tan mar gire mahai with his mighty afghan force raging has ahmed shah come valiantly where six are fighting plunge they now into the scrum upon the caravan they fall butchers have his men become children and the old infirm slaughtered many by the scum the veteran Sikh warriors and their men formed a cordon around the women and the children, determined to protect them and managing to keep the Afghans at bay, slowly moved the caravan forward. A frustrated Amachah Abdali urgently sent word to Jahan Khan to bring reinforcements, and the battle continued. Gahal naam gram hute dig, dor bahir chaleo tis uri, lae lae pat logan dhaman, kena bahir sakyo thas phori, dekar jor puna magre jhat, jaye pareo gilji vad thori, mar bahir mukai dayo un, nar hazarak ki teh tori. A village by the name of Gehel, to it does the caravan flee. When the houses they approach, doors to them are shut, they see. In a flash with terrible force, wrathful Afghans cruelly caravan attack, assail, women several take with glee. The caravan had arrived at the village of Gehel, but the residents, fearful of the Afghans, refused to open their doors to the Sikhs. The Afghans kept attacking the vulnerable sections of the caravan and managed to make off with several women. 
ਸਿੰਘਣ ਲੀਨ ਬਹੀਰ ਛੁਡਾਏ ਸੰਭਾਰ ਲਿਓ ਜੋ ਜੀਵਤ ਪਾਏ ਚੋਰ ਚਪੇ ਜਿਸ ਜੋਰ ਲਗਾਏ ਅਰੀ ਗਨ ਥੇ ਹਨ ਪਿਛੇ ਹਟਾਏ ਠਠ ਗਰਠ ਪੁਨਾ ਸਭ ਸਿੰਘ ਚਲੇ ਤਬ ਆਗੇ ਬਹੀਰ ਚਲਾਏ ਗੈਲ ਲਗੇ ਗਿਲਜੇ ਤਿਨਕੇ ਲਰਤੇ ਫਿਰਤੇ ਚਰਤੇ ਸਿੰਘ ਜਾਏ to the rescue come sikh warriors those that live they do protect furiously they whirl and fight foes are beaten back and checked around the caravan form a ring forward they their band direct afghans are in hot pursuit to keep moving sings elect the sings fighting off the attackers were determined to take the women and children to safety and kept moving until they arrived at the vicinity of Bamani and Kutba which belonged to the Afghans of Malerkotla and were home to a population of Rangars Rajputs who had converted to Islam commanded by their masters to attack the Sikhs they fell upon the caravan in great numbers armed with rustic weapons nagar maleria ke bamni o kutba te adik ageri aaye singan ke tab hi hukm maleria ka paaye ke tahan ke jatt dhaye kar aaye pare panth par sab hi salang gandase sele barche kuhare sote phad kar dhol bajaye aaye jab hi khalsa bisalsa hue kalsa milyo hai tene ek hi chhapat mein dapte jatt sab hi villages of bamni and kutba in malerkotla's fief they thrive in the path they lie ahead there does the caravan arrive had they by their lords commanded villagers of that cursed place fell upon the caravan residents of the villages base daggers axes staffs and spears weapons rough of every kind holding them and beating drums come the villagers of one mind mighty khalsars are aroused grim and deathly seem to be on the attackers khalsas leap helter skelter villagers flee if only the brave words of gyani gyan singh had been completely accurate charat singh shukar chakia and the other sick heroes rushed to the defense of the caravan but the cordon of warriors around it had been breached in multiple places the afghans with their rangar rabble inflicted heavy casualties on the sikhs almost all the women and children were slaughtered as the sikhs continued to fight a running battle with their pursuers More than 40,000 Sikhs were killed on that fateful day. The event would be remembered in Sikh history as the Vadda Kalukara or the Great Holocaust. Tahmas Maskeen, the writer of the Tahmas Nama, was present as part of Zain Khan's detachment and hence an eyewitness to the massacre. In his estimation, 25,000 perished.
The Great Holocaust occurred during the sixth invasion of Amachah Abdali. After Abdali's return to Afghanistan, following his great victory at Panipat, the Sikhs, in the absence of a strong ruler in the Punjab, had gone from strength to strength. They defeated and killed Khaja Mirza, who had been restored to the governorship of the Char Mehal districts, Sialkot, Aurangabad, Gujarat, and Pursur. Nuruddin Bamezi, who had been sent by Ahmad Shah Abdali to punish the Sikhs with an army of 12,000 men, was routed by Charat Singh Shukar Chakia. Khaja Ubaid Khan, Abdali's governor of Lahore, marched upon Gujranwala to chastise the Sikh chief, but Jassa Singh Aluwalia, Jai Singh Kanaya, and the Pangi Sardars all came to his relief. Engineering the defection of a detachment of Sikhs who served Ubaid Khan, they defeated him and he fled back to Lahore, leaving his artillery and baggage behind. The Sikhs had celebrated Diwali of 1761 jubilantly in Amritsar. The Sarbat Khalsa decided that Lahore should be taken. In the words of Dr. Ganda Singh in his work, Jasa Singh Aluwalia, the nobles of Lahore opened the city gates to the Khalsa. Thus, in response to the appeal of the citizens of Lahore, the victorious Khalsa, raising slogans of Sat Sri Akal, entered Lahore under the leadership of Sardar Jassa Singh Aluwalia. This was the first political victory of the Khalsa over the capital of Punjab. Jassa Singh Aluwalia was honored by the Sikhs with the title Sultane Qom or the monarch of the community. Writes Tamas Maskeen, Sadat Khan and Sadiq Khan were in charge of the Dawab on behalf of Ahmad Shah. The Sikhs defeated them and threw them out of the area as one would throw out a fly from milk. In short, from the river Atak to the Satluj, the Sikhs were in occupation of the province. Raja Ghumand Chand Katoch, who had been made overlord of the Jalandar Dwab by Abdali, had also wisely retreated to the hills rather than confronting the Sikhs. In January 1762, the Sikhs, flushed with victory, decided to attack Mahant Akil Das, the chief of the Naranjaniyas of Jandiala, who along with Zan Khan was one of the most powerful allies of Ahmad Shah Abdali left in the Punjab. The Sikhs commanded Akil Das to surrender and when he refused, besieged his fortress at Jandiala. Akil Das sent desperate messages to Ahmad Shah Abdali asking for his help against the Sikhs. Abdali, already intent on punishing the Sikhs, was already at Rotas close to the Jhelum. Anticipating that Ahmad Shah Abdali would come to Akil Das's relief, the Sikhs had decided to flee across the Sutlej with their caravan of women and children to protect them from the Afghans. These were the events that led to the Great Holocaust of 1762.
perpetrating the massacre, Amacha Abdali was persuaded by Zan Khan and Bhikan Khan of Maler Kotla to attack Barnala, which was an Allah Singh's territory. Zan Khan's minister, Divan Lashmi Narayan, promised Abdali that he could easily extract 5 million rupees from Allah Singh. The wily Sikh chief urgently reached out to Abdali's greatest ally in Hindustan, Najib Khan Rohilla, and with his mediation, appeared before the Afghan emperor to pay tribute. Dr. Gunda Singh, in his work, Amitsha Durrani, father of modern Afghanistan, writes that Allah Singh paid the sum of 6 lakhs and 25,000 rupees. Of that, 1 lakh and 25,000 was for permission to appear before Abdali with his hair intact and 5 lakhs was tribute. Allah Singh was detained at Abdali's camp and finally released upon the intervention of Wazir Shah Wali Khan. While at Lahore, Abdali summoned his Hindustani allies to his presence and was gratified when Najib Khan Rohila attended upon him. He reappointed Sadat Khan, the governor of the Jalandar Dwab, and reconfirmed Zan Khan's appointment at Sarand before returning. Abdali had carried 50 cartloads of severed Sikh heads to Lahore, but he was not yet done. A day before Vasakhi of 1762, a large Afghan force under Abdali's personal command went to Amritsar. Gani Gyan Singh describes what happened next. Jab Panth Malave Dhaseo Jaye, Ar Turk Gaye, Hat Fate Pae, Dig Amritsar Ke Shah Jaye, Singan Ke Badale At Risae, उन दुष्ट काम अत बुरा कीन मिट्टी से ताल भराए दीन नीचे गुरु द्वार दरबार फेर कुद्दा धवाए बरूद केर आग दे हर मंदर दे उड़ाए ठा तासब मजब हरीस साए Six were then in Malwa stuck Victorious Afghans ran amok To Amritsar Abdali went Vengeful eager to six hurt Intent he was on terrible deeds, filled the sacred pool with dirt. Underneath Harmandar Sahib, gunpowder he had then placed, bigotry and intolerance ruled, charge was lit, temple erased. On April 10th, the Sri Harmandar Sahib was blown up with gunpowder and all the surrounding structures were razed. The sacred tank was defiled with human corpses and slaughtered cows and filled with the rubble of the demolished buildings. Kie kaam shah badzat jaise fal milio taah ko pikhe taise Futeo har mandar uddi eet Kosan le it utr thik neet For the terrible things he did To account was he then called Flew a brick into the air Cursed him all who were appalled Ik chali eet tehte bisal Veh lagi shah ke tatkal Un suteo shah ka nak pith Jyon chimbad balak sutat chith 
तब चिल चिल्लाए कर हाए हाए धर गिरियो मूर्छा शाह खाए इस भयो नक बेशक ऐस पसी प्रणाले उबे जैस ऑन इट फ्लू द माइटी ब्रिक फ्लू एट हिम द स्विफ्ट ब्रिक बैट ऑन हिज नोज अहमद शाह स्ट्रक लाइक अ पिप बाय अ चाइल्ड स्पैट इन agony ahmed shah screamed swooning to the ground was felled bleeding nose in such a state like a drain with water swelled pun chutti khoon ki aisi dhar jim jhar ke geri ka pahar mil aaye tabib jarah taak sab rahe jor neh jure naak stream of blood thus issued forth like a mountain of red dust so rushed physicians to attend no recourse were all nonplussed there is an abiding belief among the sikhs that any tyrant who attacks and desecrates the harmandar sahib will always suffer consequences masarangar had and it seemed that amacha dali would as well During the summer Abdali left Lahore to spend his time in Kalanor which had a milder climate the Sikhs in the meantime had been regrouping and building back their strength they fought with Zain Khan of Sarand and exacted tribute from him and while Abdali was at Kalanor they boldly started operations all over the Punjab again Jassa Singh Aluwalia and Tara Singh Gebba ravaged the Jalandhar Dwab Charat Singh Shukarchakia and the Bangi Sardars reasserted their control north and west of Lahore in the second week of October 60000 Sikh warriors gathered at Amritsar determined to exact revenge for the great holocaust Amacha Durrani who was as adept at diplomacy as he was in the art of warfare decided that it would be better to make peace with the sikhs according to ratan singh pangu abdali tried to approach the sikhs through sardar ala singh who had paid him tribute and had accepted him as his overlord tab ale singh shahe kahyo tu khal se hame milaye e dange hum so na kare मुल्ख अपनो ले लिखाए आला सिंह तब वकील घलाया सब खाल से पैसो चल आया नानू सिंह थो गरे सवाल जिनका आख्यो शाह सवाल तो खाल से उत्तर दयो राज मंगयो कब किसने दयो तुरकण ए सिंगण क्या मेल बरूद अगन को जिम है खेल हमको सतगुरु राज लिख दिया खालसे दे भेंट सिर को लिया टू आला सिंह सेड द शाह विद द सिंह्स आई विश टू मीट इफ दे डिसिस्ट फ्रॉम रायट पिलेज दे कैन रूल दिस लैंड कंप्लीट सेंट हिज एजेंट आला सिंह टू द खालसा ही देन वेंट नानू सिंह ग्रेवाल हिज नेम ही डिक्लेयर्ड द शाहज इंटेंट देन रिप्लाइड द खालसा दस रेल्म्स आर फॉर द एस्किंग नॉट with the turks we have no truck gunpowder and fire fraught sovereignty our guru gave with our heads it has been bought 
History of the Origin and the Progress of the Six by Major James Brown is one of the earliest works on the Six written by an Englishman. Brown recounts what happened when Emmet Abdali's envoy arrived at the Sikh camp. On the arrival of this person in the camp of the Six, instead of listening to his proposals, they plundered him and his followers and drove them away. Ahmed Shah, finding all accommodation impossible, marched immediately to give battle to the Sikhs and coming to Amritsar in the evening, encamped close to the enemy. In the morning, the Sikhs drew up their army on foot and immediately proceeded to attack the Dharanis sword in hand, and the Dharanis, with equal resolution, received their attack on foot also. The battle was long and bloody, and the loss so great on both sides, that at length both armies drew off to their respective camps. The next morning, neither party was inclined to renew the conflict, and the Shah resumed his march without any further interruption. On December 12, 1762, Ahmed Shah Abdali left Lahore to start the journey home. He had been busy after the indecisive battle with the Sikhs. Summoning Najib Khan Rohila, the virtual ruler of Delhi to Lahore, he confirmed Shah Alam II, who was still in the eastern provinces of Hindustan, to the Mughal throne, and instructed him to install the emperor in Delhi. Najib Khan's offer of an annual tribute of 4 million rupees was accepted by Abdali. Kabul Imal was nominated governor of Lahore and Raja Ghumand Singh Katoch was confirmed as lord of the hill territories between the Satluj and the Bayas. Sardar Jahan Khan, Abdali's veteran general, was appointed governor of Peshawar. The area between the Ravi and the Chenab and the Singh Sagar Dwab, the region between the Indus and the Jhelum, were also placed under the command of Jahan Khan. Nuruddin Bamezi, who had been bested by Charat Singh Shukarchakia, was appointed governor of Kashmir. Dr. Ganda Singh writes that on his way back to Kandahar, Abdali was taken ill and had to rest at Ghazni. A large number of pimples appeared on his cheeks and they added to the pain of the wound on his nose. Just before the Battle of Panipat, after taking Delhi, Sada Shivrao Bhau had deposed Vazir Imadul Mulk's puppet Shah Jahan II and had placed Shah Alam II on the Mughal throne. 
As soon as Ahmed Shah Abdali had left, Najib Khan Rohila, who had been named Mir Bakshi, took complete control of Delhi. With the support of the Queen Mother, Zinat Mehal, he ignored Abdali's command to restore Imadul Mulk as Vizier and placed 6,000 of his men in Delhi under the command of his son Zabitha Khan, who governed the capital in his name. Abdali had declared the Satluj to be his eastern boundary and had no interest in the rest of the Mughal Empire other than the 4 million rupees in annual tribute that had been agreed to by Najib Khan Rohila. To that end, Abdali had desired to make peace with the Peshwa and get all the Hindustani nobles to recognize Shah Alam II so that the business of the Mughal Empire could proceed in an orderly manner. Abdali's emissary Yaqub Ali Khan had met with Raja Surajmal and had invited other interests including Nawab Shujaudala of Awadh, Ahmad Khan Bangash of Farukhabad, Maratha agents Tatya Gangadhar and Bapu Hingane and the Rohillas of Rohilkhand to participate in the negotiations. Imadul Mulk and his ally Raja Surajmal were bitterly opposed to any compromise that left Najib Khan Rohila in power in Delhi. Peshwa Balaji Baji Rao, shattered by the death of his son and the defeat at Panipat, was on his deathbed and there was no agreement. Surajmal, who had wisely kept himself out of the Panipat battle, emerged as the strongest ruler in Hindustan, and in the absence of an alliance with other interests, he refused to help Imadul Mulk take Delhi, instead concentrating on expanding his kingdom closer to home by taking Agra. Najib Khan Rohila, who had a very healthy respect for Surajmal's prowess, decided to limit his ambitions north and west of Delhi while trying to thwart the attempts of Surajmal and the Jats to expand northwards. The Emperor Shah Alam, who had escaped the clutches of Imadul Mulk in 1758 before the murder of his father Alamgir II, had been courteously received by Nawab Shujaudala, who was a sworn enemy of Imadul Mulk's as well. In 1759, having put together an army of mostly Rohila fighters, Shah Alam, accompanied by Shujaudala's cousin Muhammad Kuli Khan, the governor of Allahabad, attacked Bihar. The British, who had gained a foothold in Bengal as traders in the time of the Emperor Farooq Siyar, had by then strengthened their position, and the new Nawab of Bengal, Mir Jafar, was their client. The governor of Bihar, Raja Ram Narayan sent a frantic appeal to his overlord Mir Jafar asking for assistance, but the Nawab of Bengal was nonplussed because the attacker was Shah Alam, a Mughal royal, who was nominally his overlord. Imadul Mulk got Shah Alam declared a rebel. Emboldened by this, Mir Jafar sent a British force that successfully beat Shah Alam back. On December 29, 1759, Shah Alam declared himself the Mughal Emperor of Hindustan and offered the post of Vizier to Shuja Uddala. With no treasure, 
and a ridiculously small army, Shah Alam made further attempts to take Bihar early in 1760 and again in 1761, but was thwarted by the Bengal army, the backbone of which were now well-trained British sepoys. After his defeat in 1761, Shah Alam threw himself at the mercy of the British and became their client, receiving an allowance from them in exchange for recognizing their political position in Bengal and Bihar. After the Battle of Panipat, when Ahmad Shah Abdali confirmed him as the Mughal emperor, Shah Alam was eager to return to Delhi to occupy his throne. But the British were not willing to accompany him beyond the western boundary of Bihar. As Najib Khan Rohila was consolidating his power in Delhi, Shah Alam was with his sole ally Nawab Shuja Uddala trying to come up with a plan to claim what was rightly his. As soon as Ahmad Shah Abdali left for Kandahar, the Sikhs started flexing their muscles again. The Buddha Dal, or the senior warriors, spreading out to every corner of Punjab and establishing police outposts or thanas. The Tarna Dal, or the young warriors, stayed in Amritsar and led the effort to rebuild the Sri Harmandar Sahib and clean the sacred pool. The Sikhs were celebrating the Sakhi of 1763 when a delegation of Brahmins arrived from Kasur. Ek divas Hari Singh ji bethe hute darbar, dai dohai aan bip kusuryo uch pukar, uche bip yo kari pukar, khoi kusuryan meri naar, tum khal se ho hindu dharm, panth nanak ko chhatri karm, Hari Singh tis ko kehyo tu kal aai fer, lage divan jab khal se, padi rehra se keer, din agle fir khal so ayo, kar isnan darbar, dars paayo, tek matho singh bethe aan, sabd chonki suni lai divan, padi rehra se fir arda se bhai, fir aai bip duhai dai, Karo uprala mora chal maro kasure bade sab gal. One day at the Golden Temple, Bhangi chief sat Hari Singh. Wailing to him came a Brahmin. Tidings from Kasur did ring. Insistently did Brahmin plead. Kasuris did my woman take. Khalsas protect the Hindu faith. This wrong right I beg you make, said Hari Singh to the man. Tomorrow pray you should return when all the Khalsars are gathered and from evening prayer adjourn. On the next day Khalsas came, bathed and then the temple entered, bowed their heads and then sat down. On the hymns their minds were centered. When the evening prayers were done came the wailing Brahmin there. Do something, oh help me please. Please chastise Kasur, it's only fair. Sardar Hari Singh Pangi called a war council. The fortress of Kasur was formidable, and the assembled chiefs could only muster 8,000 men, a fraction of the size of the Afghan garrison of Kasur. While some of the chiefs suggested that they should wait for the return of the Buddha Dal warriors, Charat Singh Shukar Chakia unsheathed his sword and declared that the time to attack was now. The Kanaya and the Nakai Sardars 
others, who were also present at Amritsar, were of a similar mind, and after an ardas or prayer, the Sikhs rode out of Amritsar. The Sikhs fell upon Kasur, taking the commander Usman Khan by surprise. 500 Afghans were killed and the wealthy town was plundered. The Brahmin's wife was rescued and brought home. Meanwhile, in the Jalandar Dwab, Sardar Jassa Singh Aluwalia, leading the Buddha Dal, won a great victory against Sadat Khan and seized several of his villages, forcing Abdali's chosen governor to take shelter in his fort. Hearing of these activities, Amacha Abdali dispatched Sardar Jahan Khan to punish the Sikhs. Jahan Khan crossed the Jhelum and the Chanab rapidly making for Sialkot to seek the help of Raja Ranjit Singh Deo of Jammu, who was Abdali's vassal. Charat Singh Shukarchakya, with the assistance of Chanda Singh Pangi and Gujar Singh Pangi, defeated Jahan Khan and sent him back over the Indus. The memories of the Great Holocaust were very fresh in the minds of the Sikh Sardars, and the time for retribution had come. Sardar Jassa Singh Aluwalia crossed the Satlaj at the head of the Buddha Dal and fell upon Maler Kotla, killing Bhikkhan Khan, one of the main perpetrators of the massacre. Zan Khan of Sarand, who had presided over the massacre, had by then become very unpopular with his subjects. In the words of Tahmas Maskeen, Zan Khan began to behave in violation of the established principles of administration. He no longer paid the salaries of his soldiers. He began to plunder villages unnecessarily, and from the booty brought, he would make niggardly payments to his soldiers in lieu of their salary. He became friendly with the Rajas of the hill region. He began to make efforts to collect money. I foresee that this army of Zand Khan will be destroyed and the city of Sarand will be ruined and will become a deserted town. On January 14, 1764, the Sikhs attacked. Zand Khan, trying to flee, was surrounded by the Sikhs at the village of Manera, seven miles to the east of Sarand, and killed. Writes Dr. Ganda Singh, the infuriated Sikhs then rushed into the city and subjected it to an indiscriminate plunder. Most of the buildings were razed to the ground and leveled with the earth. To fulfill a prophecy ascribed to Guru Gobind Singh, a number of donkeys were sent for, and the leading Sardars plowed up some of these places with their own hands. The booty that fell into the hands of the Sikhs was immense. Above everything else, the entire province of Sarand, about 220 miles in length and 160 miles in width, extending from Satlaj in the north through the districts of Karnal and Rotak in the south, and from the boundary of the Bhavalpur state on the west to the Jamuna in the east, lay prostrate at their feet. The Sikhs then turned their attention south, crossing the Jamuna at the Bariya Ghat and entering Najib Khan Rohila's territory in the Yamuna Ganga Dwab. A year earlier, Raja Surajmal had been killed by Najib Khan Rohila during an expedition in the vicinity of Ghaziabad. 
His son Jawahar Singh, who succeeded him, inherited a prosperous kingdom that yielded annual revenues close to 20 million rupees, had a string of impregnable forts, and an army composed of 15,000 horsemen and 25,000 foot soldiers. A conflict between Najib Khan Rohila and the newly crowned Jawahar Singh was brewing, and the young king got a much-needed respite when the Sikhs distracted Najib Khan by plundering Saharanpur and Shamli. Najib Khan Rohila paid the Sikhs off, offering them more than a million rupees to cease their campaign and go back home. The next target of the Sikhs was Lahore. Responding to a complaint by Hindus that 30 cows had been slaughtered in the city, the Sikh Sardars demanded an explanation from Abdali's governor, Kabli Mal, and ordered him to execute the butchers responsible for the act. Kabli Mal, terrified of both the Sikhs and his Afghan overlord, compromised by punishing some of the butchers. He also accepted Teik Chand, as the representative of Sardar Hari Singh Pangi in Lahore and agreed to pay his salary, thus giving the Sikhs a foothold in the capital. The lands west of Lahore were virtually controlled by the Shukarchakyas and the Pangis. In the summer of 1764, Sardar Chadat Singh Shukarchakya and Sardar Gujar Singh Pangi attacked the mighty fortress at Rohtas by the Jhelum. After a long siege, the Sikh chiefs pretended to retreat, and when the governor Sarbuland Khan gave chase, they turned around and captured him. Sarbuland Khan, an uncle of Emacha Abdali's, was treated with courtesy and chivalry and was released by Chadat Singh Shukarchakya after he paid a ransom of 200,000 rupees. Sardar Hari Singh Pangi and his sons, with Sardar Hira Singh Nakai, even marched 250 miles to Multan and overran it. The entire Punjab was under Sikh control, and it was only a matter of time before Amacha Abdali's attention returned to the lands that he firmly considered to be his. Jawahar Singh's position within his kingdom was shaky because he didn't have the support of all the Jat chiefs, some of whom wanted his brother Nahar Singh to succeed Surajmal. Jawahar Singh tried to strengthen his position by hiring 20,000 Maratha horsemen under Malhar Rao Holkar as well as 15,000 Sikhs. In November 1764, Jawahar Singh recovered all the Jat outposts that Najib Khan Rohila had taken from his father and attacked Delhi. Jawahar Singh had been fighting Najib Khan for almost two months 
when a force of 12,006 arrived in Delhi under the command of Jassa Singh Aluwalia. This was Jawahar Singh's first encounter with the Sikhs, and not a particularly pleasant one for the young king, writes Dr. Jadunath Sarkar. When the Sikhs arrived near Brari Ghat, Jawahar crossed over from the east bank to the west bank and interviewed all their chiefs. He had to submit to every kind of insult in order to enlist these allies. He was not allowed to approach the place of conference on an elephant. In the assembly of the Sardars, he was introduced by a Sikh leading the communal prayer or ardas, crying out, Jawahar Singh, the son of Suraj Mal, has sought the shelter of the Khalsa Jiu and has become a Sikh of Guru Nanak. He is demanding through you redress for his father's blood. They also drove out the Jat Raja's hookah bearer with insult and abuse because among the Sikhs, tobacco is an abomination. The Sikh contingent fought a few indecisive battles against the Rohillas, but the city did not fall to the combined forces of the Jats, the Sikhs, the Marathas, and a brigade of 10,000 Naga sannyasis from Awadh, who had also been recruited into Jawahar Singh's ranks. Muhammad Nasir Khan was the ruler of Kalath in Balochistan. Once part of the Mughal Empire, Kalath was a part of Amatshah Abdali's kingdom when in 1758 the ruler rebelled against his overlord. After Amatshah Abdali defeated him, Nasir Khan became one of his strongest allies. Qazi Nur Muhammad was a cleric whose forefathers had been Qazis for 70 generations. The tale of Ahmad Shah Abdali's seventh invasion draws heavily upon the Jangnama of Qazi Nur Muhammad. One day at Kalat, Nasir Khan was sitting in a majlis with all his notables occupying their respective seats. He was reading commentaries on the Quran with reference to the advantages of the Hajj when a Darban announced the arrival of the news from the data that the accursed infidels, the Sikhs, had spread themselves from Lahore to the data and had razed the Muslim mosques to the ground. The Khan was highly incensed at this and said, It is shameful that this sect of Kafirs overpowers the Muslims and that the land of peace has been converted into the land of hostility. Before anything else, it is incumbent on me to massacre these Be'edin Sikhs, to strike my sword on their heads, break their skulls, tear their chests, and to so deal with these infernal beings as to please the angels of heaven to make a rivulet of their blood flow so as to drown them therein with their heads turned 
downwards and to burn their dead bodies in fire and to destroy them without any further delay. The ulama, Islamic theologians, were consulted and a fatwa or a declaration was issued sanctioning a jihad or holy war against the Sikhs. The only thing left to do was to seek the permission of the king, Ahmad Shah Abdali. Fortuitously, a message arrived from the king himself declaring that learning of the conquest of the Sikhs, he had decided to start a jihad as well. In the words of Nur Muhammad, messengers were at once dispatched and the armies of Ghazis poured in from all sides. Out of my zeal for jihad, I was present at the preparations for the expedition and saw with my own eyes the gathering army hissing like black snakes. They were all warlike men. Those clad in wool were hardy swordsmen, and those armed with muskets wore skins and looked like tigers. After visiting the shrines of various saints, the Balochi set out and joined the army of Bakhtiar Khan Patti at the bank of the Jhelum. The army made its way to the outskirts of Amnabad, where Abdali had set up camp and Nasir Khan was received by Sardar Jahan Khan. The combined forces crossed the Ravi and arrived at Lahore, where Ahmad Shah Abdali called a council of war. Abdali's spies had reported that when Sikhs got word of the jihad, they had retreated to the Lucky jungle, which was about 150 miles from Lahore. A decision was made to proceed there directly and destroy the Sikhs. Though Abdali was aware that his protege, Najib Khan Rohila, had been besieged by the Jats, he did not know that many of the Sikh warriors were away in Delhi. The very next morning, the Afghan advance guard was attacked by Sardar Charat Singh Shukar Chakya and his men. The Sikhs killed the commander, Ahmad Khan Balidi and his son after a day of fierce fighting, and then they melted away, frustrating the Afghans with their hit-and-run tactics. Abdali's spies indicated that the audacious band of Sikhs had fled in the direction of Chak Guru, as Amritsar was then referred to. We now return to Qazi Nur Muhammad's account. The Shah returned to Lahore. He left his baggage like heavy tents at Lahore and with all his army marched against the accursed ones. He spent three nights on the way and on the fourth night arrived at Chuck. The dogs had already received information of the lions coming upon them and they had therefore disappeared from there also. When the Shah arrived at the Chuck, there was not a single kafir to be seen but a few of them had remained in an enclosure so that they might spill their own blood. The enclosure that Nur Muhammad referred to was the Akal Bunga, the seat of the temporal power of the Sikhs opposite the Sri Harmandar Sahib built by Guru Hargobind. Hopelessly outnumbered, the Sikh warriors had fled Amritsar before the arrival of the Afghans, a small band led by the Akali Gurbaksh Singh had elected to stay behind, unwilling to leave the Sri Harmandar Sahib, 
in the face of the desecration that Abdali would surely subject it to. We switch perspectives now and from Kazi Noor Muhammad go to Ratan Singh Pangu who tells the tale of Gurbak Singh and his band of 30 defenders of the Sri Harmandar Sahib. Sakhi Nihang Bujangi Gurbaksh Singh Shaheed Ji Ki Seas Lai Ham Kare Bihai Baho Path Shahi Asi Leh Pranaye The Tale of a Martyr Brave Nihang Who Gave His Head and Death Did Wed and thus did the mighty Gurbaksh Singh truly become a king. Gurbaksh Singh Nahang ki sakhi suno sujaan pai shahidi un bhali bhal amritsar sthaan. On the hallowed earth of Amritsar, martyrdom did the man embrace. Join with me, O gentle ones, as the mighty fallen Nihang I praise. Young man of steel, this warrior brave, steadfast and sober, dressed in blue, rises at dawn and drains his cup and girds up for the coming day. Prayers are said in early morn, proud turban does his head adorn. To shining steel he bows his head. Before it's on his person born, a chain of steel around his neck, shining bracelets upon his wrists, quites of steel upon his head, together his impervious shield, gloves of steel, a mighty club, breeches that hang down to his knees, on his breast a coat of mail, resplendent is the warrior brave, he shall be worthy of his name, to whom is sorrow as his joy, he will be honored as a sage, to whom is comfort as his pain, steadfast and steady as a rock, worthy, kind, generous and brave, firm of purpose he never swayed by flattery of chief or knave. At the urgent beat of the drum of war he shrinks not from the fear of death. At the whisper of a threat to his own, ready to fight till his last breath, and when the time to fight is nigh, he jumps in standard flying high. And as the war drum thrums and growls, in the van the warrior prowls. From Pai Mani Singh's very own hands, he drank the immortal brew of love. By came Karan Leel, a village fair, in Maja lies the lion's lair. A leader true always out front, his men forming his glorious train, wherever he would plant his flag, his men so steadfast would remain, his face toward most holy shrine, in the timeless tower he would dwell, watchful ever his mighty horde, chanting the name of the timeless Lord. Hear ye this tale of warrior brave, how he withstood the Afghan might off the rampage of the Gijli tribe. My words render that terrible sight. In Bharatpur there was a king who sacked the wealth of Agra fair, made off with two incomparable steeds. Mountains of wealth did his soldiers bring, one hundred laden carts with loot, and yet the treasure house was full, his mighty victory rendered moot, beaten by the Ruhilla chief. In anger the king's vengeful son resolved to build a mighty host, caring for treasure not a whit. 
he built a lethal fighting force. The chief of Jats, Delhi besieged, circumscribed the Rohilla chief, and thus when he was helpless pinned, he turned to Kabul for relief. Seduced by dreams of a ransom rich, set out a fearsome Afghan force. At the rumor of its coming near, Amritsar was plunged in fear. To the hills they fled in panicked haste, only to fuel the bandits' feasts. Those who sought shelter by the streams fell prey to fierce and hungry beasts. Those who dared to stay behind, the Gilgis bound with rope and chain, and all of those who had left their homes found nothing but heartbreak and pain. In forests and in places strange, the fleeing six in misery dwelt, and pondering their pitiful state the six gathered for evening prayers in the shade of the timeless tower cool to leave the town was the sacred writ save warriors by the sacred pool was heard the mighty warrior roar is there today one single man to valiantly pick up the sword in the name of the ever glorious lord steadfast and strong meditative calm truthfully who treads the path unselfish brave to the very last core like the martyr taru singh of yore the sixth then spoke in a single voice none here is worthier or more brave you are the one young warrior strong the lord will hear your rousing song hearing this then the warrior bows his hands in fervent prayer joined with folded hands and pendant head the maiden death agrees to wed then sallies forth the warrior bold is there one willing to stand beside me in this noble plan? I shall be groom and he best man. They hear these words rise to their feet, address to him this humble plea, and solemnly they did declare, from the bonds of fear, let us be free. Standing now there were many more, each willing to be a wedding guest. The mighty warrior did declare, in the next world, to you will be blessed to be wed i shall give my head my prize will be kingdoms galore my wedding guests who with me sing each one them too shall be a king for he who dies a glorious death is honored as a royal liege it's true it's what the sculpture saith these are the words of the master tenth fearlessly offer up your head fear not divine reward you'll get for this is what the master said reiterates the warrior brave and Ahmad Shah has reached Lahore ramparts of Delhi he will raise six gathered in fair Amritsar draw the tyrant's rapine gaze making great haste the cowards flee the warrior does not stop their flight his soldiers young brave hardy souls stand girded for the coming fight some are responsible Splendent in blue, others in saffron or dazzling white. By the timeless tower they proudly stand. They swear to be Abdali's blight. The heady brew they do partake. 
eager to jump into the fray, ready to die, they show no fear, so glorious in their battle gear, in battle dress and fully armed, powerful backs are ramrod straight, their lips recite the Guru's words, in the Guru's hands it rests their fate, chant verses from the song of bliss, a day of joy, a wedding feast, steaming prashad receives the panth, bodies are sprayed, perfumed divine, for the wedding are the grooms prepared, the warriors sing songs of praise, women respond with wedding airs, in the sacred pool the warrior bathes, in the timeless tower takes his place, a dazzling sight in splendid robes that cover him from head to toe. On his head he dons a turban proud, steel quiets dazzle in its folds, amidst them does a dagger fix, as jaunty as a bridegroom's plume. Upon him is pressed a chaplet fair, sweet-smelling blooms of many kinds. The warrior dons in humble prayer, and is by all present he blessed, steel on his wrists, blooms on his head, on his mighty shoulder sits a sword, the timeless tower he exits, eager to bow before the Lord, to the temple then the warrior wends with folded hands and bended knees, the joyous songs, the chanted hymns, O glorious day, his heart they please, they marched behind their standard proud to the fearsome boom of kettle drums swaggering about like bridegrooms bold merrily flinging silver and gold with reverence deep salute their flags generously do they give out arms and when they reach the temple door they bow their heads down to the floor the warrior enters the hallowed space and four times he circles the book all around him warriors brave rain down petals on his head and face with folded hands the warrior prays humble he stands in the guru's midst May I be worthy, Lord, he says, my body and soul at your feet I lay. Meanwhile, the Gilgis gird their loins as they get word of the massing sings. They don their armors, helmets and mail. Sick warriors have none of these things. To their teeth are the mighty Gilgis armed, ready to lay the sings to waste. Arrows, pistols and muskets long, readied and primed with sand. Savage haste. The six are armed with fighting words. Some have daggers, some double edged swords. Many have not but rustic clubs, and yet they press, eager to fight. Some sinks are mounted on their steeds, jockey and twist to lead the charge. To each other solemnly swear that each will lead the pack by far. And the warrior dressed in battle gear in the timeless tower in repose. Dashing bridegroom swells with pride as he contemplates his winsome bride. The war drum beats, the standard is raised. With divine music is the master praised. The minstrels sing sweet songs of bliss till the warriors too have had their fill. The Gilgis march at break of 
dawn and bear down on the eager sings. Some steadfast sit on noble mounts, foot soldiers do they hold their ground. And where they stand they give their lives, for how could they stop such a mighty horde? And as they leave for their final abode... The six who live give battle fierce. The sings are by the Gilgis ringed. Kill them, kill them, like wolves they bay. Louder is heard the warrior's roar. Dig in, show them the martyr's way. Honor there is in pressing forth, just as holding back is shame. When hostile swords around you sing, it's time to prove a warrior's worth. Hearing these words, the warriors bound and lion-like on the Gilgis pounce. Where else can such valor be found? They care no more for life or limb. Press on, press on, the warrior roars. Drink your fill of the martyr's brew. Your sylvan dreams of paradise and martyrdom you will realize. If you wish to be an eternal king, the maiden death you must embrace. Reborn you shall be as a mighty sing of your enemies there will be no trace sallied forth his most valiant men we are best men you are the groom we will follow you to paradise and with you we will gladly rule for heaven we care not one whit our bonds of brotherhood are enough a noble death fighting we crave as we send our foes to a fiery grave and then the warrior gravely says a solemn oath i now do swear as i set foot in the guru's court to pieces i will the gilgis tear my fearless brothers now you take heart you will be sings again reborn and once again does warrior say embrace your death your enemies flay the gilgis are back with fearsome force the sings fight back their heels dug in in their heads no thought of retreat as slowly back gilgis they beat like a lion's roar the warriors cry let not today your purpose pale for your faith you fight this noble fight dismount and with your swords prevail these words beyond the gilgis can their muskets rain a hail of lead steadfast men falling to the ground beholds the warrior all around the warrior swings his mighty sword, a fearsome Gilgi whistling smites, pierces his armor, rips his breast, and many more soldiers he fights. Audaciously the sings advance, for a moment mighty Gilgis yield, with practiced ease they lightly dance each man sheltered behind his shield contemptuous look on his noble face his shield the warrior tosses away the gilgis charge with flashing swords undaunted sings they join the fray eyelids unbatted heads unbowed no backward glance sings charge ahead the gilgis take to their heels cowed so furious is their attack from a distance gilgi guns let loose and arrows whistle through the air sings spout blood from countless wounds 
to shreds their flesh do Gilgis tear. The bullets, they pierce their flesh and bone. The things fight on, heedless of pain. Their bodies spew a rush of blood like from an oil press flows a flood the warrior too profusely bleeds water spurting from a ruptured pouch and on and on as he marches forth like fountains do the gaseous spout as more and more his lifeblood seeps his weary body starts to rebel yet the warrior thinks not of retreat that shame to him is worse than hell to the lord he prays at this moment dark save me o lord save me from shame accept my humble sacrifice he begs as he chants his master's name the gilgi horde just swells and swells fresh fighters now their ranks enhance with fury falls upon the sings and rend their foes with spear and lance the warrior mighty swings his swords slices through many a lance the gilgis dare not come too close Away from flashing sword they prance. Not one thing did that they retreat, nor cast his eye towards the rear. No one shall ever dare to say that even one ran from the fray. Warrior assailed so many spears as the Gilgi strive to make him yield. And though he's fallen on his knee, they cannot from his hand sword free. He grips his sword in bloody hand, but his mind is now roiled by doubt. If I cast my sword on the sand, will they spare me a man unarmed? If I yield, I'm sure I will live, but all this blood will be for naught. This glorious moment for sure will pass. The time to sacrifice is now. Thus the warrior girds his loins, makes up his mind to never bow. May my head from my trunk be cleaved. Hither, sweet sword, no one bereaved. He picks up his sword, mightily roars a challenge to the Gilgi horde. His neck is bare, begs to be hacked, just like was Ninth Master attacked. A Gilgi bravo swings his blade, the warrior's head is no more nigh. The Lord is kind, a promise made, the sings can hold up their heads high. Of warriors past and martyr sprites, their joyous ranks the warrior joins. Into their waiting arms he's borne, chariots divine with pennants flying. They come for him on prancing steeds, bejeweled saddles, there's a slew, beating war drums, flying flags and Dazzling robes of electric blue. Music majestic sprites do make, accompanied by lute and drum. The warrior joins the magic throng. Oh, glorious and noble groom. Oh, look in the throng, by money sing. The sage does songs from the scripture sing. By Taru sing, he is here too. Like dogs, he leads a tyrant leashed. The tyrant is being thrashed with shoes and for his evil deeds is flayed of evildoers a wicked crew is chastised till it's black and blue the warrior the spirits greet 
and in warm embrace engulf, with happiness joyously meet, long lost brothers each other greet. With folded hand the warrior prays, his mind his master contemplates. Thank you, my lord, the warrior says, and homage to his master pays. My lord, my king, giver of life for eons we have lived with strife. These brutish dogs of Khorasan shall meet the fate of Vazir Khan. This evil king has caused us grief. We will eject him from our fief. Give us the strength to fight prevail. Sweep them away with a mighty gale. This land is ours, its bounty ours. Why should we let them steal from us? The master hears the warrior's plea. It will be thus, my son, you'll see. The Afghan king will soon to hell. The sings will merrily sound his knell. But there is one more tale to tell of how his Gilji followers fell. The Gilji sleep in a makeshift camp by the ramparts of the Bungi fort. In the dead of night, the sings do stir. Stealthily creeps vengeful cohort. Tired Gilgis in slumber deep, the sings make off with many a steed, and on their camp they fiercely sweep, riding in the dust the Gilgis bleed. At break of dawn the Gilgis flee, make haste to catch up with their king. In the light of day the sings behold, brethren in heaps their bodies cold. As the beaten foes retreat, more sings appear on the scene. It looks as if the earth has bled or colored red by the warriors dead. The sings come up with a common plan. With honor they will treat each man. By the timeless tower a pyre is lit. By dancing flames sings solemnly sit. On the mighty fire are the martyrs laid, fallen comrades, gallant band. The sings prepare a sacred feast, received humbly by every hand. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, their bodies fallen heroes leave. Their souls rise up to meet the Lord and join the martyrs' eternal horde. The sings joyously chant and praise, Blessed are fathers, such sons who raise. To the warriors is built a glorious shrine. Wishes are fulfilled every day. Such is the glory of this shrine. Many a malady has it cured. And so great its power benign. Forgotten is all pain endured. But hark, the tale is not yet done. The six have joyous odes to sing. The warrior's prayer, his dying breath. A miracle yet it is to bring the fallen warrior's eternal soul comradeship with martyr seeks earnestly he begs the lord with them may i live in accord the master in his wisdom deep bestowed upon his slave a boon the warrior did the lord decree another life for sure would see of love of life the man who's free would the leader of a thousand be o mighty chief who scoffed at flight you did not bow to the gilgi might 
clamored then the martyrs sprites hear us lord for me hear us lord we may be so bold for a dozen years let him dwell there then send him back into the world all of us our lord you blessed for your chance to savor your grace we beg for a dozen years let us all dwell here then send us back with the mission clear so be it then spoke the lord It shall be as you ask of me. I will not cleave you from my side. Forever joined with me you'll be. Upon hearing these gracious words, the martyrs' hearts, they swell with joy. The warrior, though, is bold to ask. For me, Lord, what is your plan? You are my son, I now will bless. In you I place my powers thus. A sovereign now is every sing, and you shall be their mighty king. Sovereign of all within your sight, none shall stand before your might. He who dares to draw your ire will be scorched as if by fire. The mightiest, most defiant foe at your feet will his weapons throw. Tell me, my lord, your slave would know the name of the house where my soul will go. You will be born to a warrior bold, before whose might will the Gilgis fold. A warrior who is known to all, to evil who will never fall. A warrior willing to sacrifice for the good of all his very life. Speak up, spirits of martyrs brave. If you have heard of such a man, O Lord, where else can you send a king but to the house of Charat Singh? Say Athara Baye Saal, Bite Bikram Rai Bhual, Ratan Singh Yo Sakhi Kahi, Kich Sunike Kich Anbho Lahi. In 1822, one Ratan Singh did this tale brew. Some of it came from what he knew, and some from ballads sung anew. Simrat Sastr Bed Sab E Kanchan Ke Cher, Anbho Paras Ki Ki Ni, Yes, wisdom can be found in tomes, it's true, it may be bought and sold, but wisdom that lies deep within, priceless, if I may be so bold, writes Kazi Noor Muhammad, an eyewitness to the fall of Gurbak Singh and his band. They sacrificed their lives for the Guru. When they saw the renowned king and army of Islam, they came out of the enclosure. They were only 30 in number, but they had not a grain of fear about them. They had neither the fear of slaughter nor the dread of death. Thus they grappled with the Ghazis, and in this grappling they spilled their own blood. All the accursed Sikhs were killed and went to hell. The Islamis ran to the right and the left in search of them, but they did not find even one of the impertinent dogs. The Shah had therefore to return to Lahore helplessly. A memorial was raised to Gurbakh Singh and his men behind the Akal Takat, and it stands to this day as an eternal reminder of the sacrifices of the Sikhs in the crucible that the 18th century was for the faith. When Jassa Singh Aluwalia and his warriors got word that Abdali was close to Lahore, they immediately left Delhi and hastened back to the Punjab. 
Jawahar Singh, who had been betrayed by Malhar Rao Holkar, who had a secret agreement with Najib Khan as well as Imadul Mulk, had raised the siege of Delhi and had returned to his kingdom. Ahmad Shah Abdali made his way across the Punjab, looting, pillaging and slaughtering, as recounted by Qazi Noor Muhammad. On his departure from Lahore, the just Shah ordered that it was the country of the hostiles and thus his men were at liberty to plunder it. When the Lashkar came to know of the royal wish, they ransacked every village and town. This was the desire of their hearts and they had prayed to God for it night and day. Whichever side the army moved, the people were massacred in broad daylight. There was no distinction between the dogs and the non-dogs. If a king eats one apple from a garden, the army destroys the whole of it. The people ran away and hid themselves wherever they could. Nobody remembers the innumerable things that fell into the hands of the crusaders. Abdali arrived at Kunjpura and held a council there. While Nasir Khan advised pressing on and further settling the affairs of Hindustan by forming an alliance of the Jats, the Marathas, the Nawab of Awadh and Najib Khan Rohila, the Afghans and his council pressed for a return to their homeland before the heat of the summer set in. Abdali overruled Nasir Khan and decided to return, stopping on the way to inspect the devastation of Sarand at the hands of the Sikhs. Sardar Ala Singh was summoned and asked to explain what had happened at Sarand. The wily Ala Singh shifted the blame to the other Sikh chiefs and suggested to Abdali if Sarand was given to him and if he was allowed a grace period of one year during which no tribute would be due, he would rebuild and repopulate the city. In the Qazi's words, when the Shah found him thus devoted to him, he made over Sarand to him. The river of imperial generosity rose to a flood, and the Shah treated him with greatness, considered him worthy of a dress of honor, a killat, and bestowed upon him a drum and a banner. The rest of Abdali's expedition was inconsequential, but the detailed observations of Qazi Nur Muhammad of the Sikhs made during the running battle that they subjected Abdali to during his return are worth mentioning. Here are some of the most entertaining and insightful excerpts. The first few are about the capabilities of the Sikhs as fighters, which clearly made an impression upon the holy warrior. Do not call the Sikhs dogs because they are lions and are courageous like lions in the field of battle. How can a hero who roars like a lion in the field of battle be called a dog? If you wish to learn the art of war, come face to face with them in the field. They will demonstrate it to you in such a way that one and all will praise them for it. If you wish to learn the science of war or swordsmen, learn from them how to face an enemy like a hero and how to get safely out of action. Singh is a title. 
It is not justice to call them dogs. If you do not know the Hindustani language, I tell you, the word Singh means a lion. Truly, they are like lions in battle, and at times of peace, they surpass Hatham. When they take the Indian sword in their hands, they overrun the country from Hindustan to Sindh. Nobody then stands in opposition to them, however much strong they may be. When they manipulate the spear, they shatter the ranks of the enemy, and when they raise their heads of their spears to the sky, they would pierce even through the Caucasus. When they adjust the strings of their bows and place in them the enemy killing arrows and pull the strings to their ears, the body of their enemy begins to shiver with fear. When their battle axe falls upon the armor of their opponents, that armor becomes their coffin. During a battle, when they take their guns in their hands, they come jumping into the field of action, roaring like lions. They tear the chests of many and shed the blood of several of their enemies in the dust. It is said that the musket is a weapon of the ancient days. It, however, appears to be the creation of these dogs rather than of the great Socrates, Although there are so many of the Tufangchis, nobody can excel them in its use. So impressed was the Kazi by the physical prowess of the Sikh warriors that he likened them to the legendary Persian king Behram Ghor. The body of every one of them is like a piece of rock, and in physical grandeur, Every one of them is more than 50 persons. It is said that Behram Gore killed wild asses and set the lions shrieking. But if Behram were to come face to face with them, even he would bow before them. His observations on the character of the six are no less interesting. Leaving aside their mode of fighting, Hear you another point in which they excel all other fighting people. In no case would they slay a coward, nor would they put an obstacle in the way of a fugitive. They do not plunder the wealth and ornaments of a woman, be she a well-to-do lady or a maidservant. There is no adultery amongst these dogs, nor are these mischievous people given to thieving. Whether a woman is old or young, they call her a buriya and ask her to get out of the way. The buriya in Indian language means an old lady. There is no thief at all among these dogs, nor is there any housebreaker born amongst these miscreants. They do not make friends with adulterers and housebreakers, though their behavior on the whole is not commendable. He goes on to describe the celebrated taifat, or two-and-a-half-blow tactics that the Sikh fighters were famous for when they would attack, pretend to retreat, and then double back to attack again after drawing their enemies into a trap. If their enemies take to flight, do not take it as an actual flight. It is a war tactic of theirs. Beware, beware of them for a second time. The object of this trick is 
that when the furious enemy runs after them, he is separated from his main army and from his reinforcements. Then they turn their back to face their pursuers and set fire even to water. Did you not see how, during the fight, they took to a deceptive flight from before a Khan, and how then they turned back on him and surrounded him on all sides? The most prominent Sardars, Jassa Singh Aluwalia, Charat Singh Shukar Chakia, Jassa Singh Ramgadia, Jai Singh Kanaya, Hari Singh Pangi, Chanda Singh Pangi, Gujar Singh Pangi, Lena Singh Pangi, and Gulab Singh Pangi were all personally involved in the attacks that Abdali was subjected to seven days in a row. The last engagement was at the banks of the Bias. Amacha Abdali's seventh invasion thus came to a close in March 1765. Fuming at the six, he crossed the Ravi to start his way back home. On April 10th that year, the Sikhs celebrated Vasakhi in Amritsar and the Sarbat Khalsa decided that it was finally time to take Lahore. Lerna Singh Pangi and Gujar Singh Pangi, along with Soba Singh Kanaya, marched upon Lahore. The governor Kabuli Mal was in Jammu trying to recruit soldiers and the city was easily taken. The citizens of Lahore petitioned the Sikh Sardars, begging them not to sack the city. The Sardars agreed and divided it amongst themselves. Lerna Singh took the inner city, including Lahore Fort. Gujar Singh took the eastern part of Lahore up to the Shalimar Gardens, and Soba Singh took the rest. The Dal Khalsa had viewed Sardar Ala Singh's submission to Ahmad Shah Abdali as an affront and Hari Singh Pangi led a detachment against him to punish him. A battle was fought in the vicinity of Patiala, in which Hari Singh Pangi was killed. Sardar Jassa Singh Aluwalia, unwilling to see Sikh shedding the blood of Sikh, intervened and brought about a compromise. In August 1765, Sardar Ala Singh passed away and was succeeded by his grandson Amar Singh. After the monsoon the same year, the Sikhs crossed the Yamuna again into Najib Khan Rohila's territory and skirmished with his forces, mostly testing his strength before returning to Amritsar to celebrate Diwali. 
After Diwali, the Sikhs received another invitation from Jawahar Singh, whose troubles were continuing as his rash and imperious ways alienated all the Jat chiefs. Jawahar Singh was readying a campaign against Nahar Singh, his half-brother, who had declared himself king of Bharatpur and was under Maratha protection at the fort of Dholpur, a contingent of 7,000 Sikh warriors under Sardar Jassa Singh Aluwalia and Sardar Tara Singh Geba arrived to join Jawahar Singh's Jats, and the two armies defeated the Marathas, taking Dholpur easily. The Sikhs plundered Rivadi and other territories of the Raja of Jaipur, and laden with their booty and the payment for their services, started to make their way back home through Najib Khan Rohila's territories. Dr. Jadunath Sarkar writes about a reverse that the Sikhs suffered at the hands of Najib Khan Rohila. Najib crossed at Kutana Ghat by night and learned that the Sikhs had halted five coasts off. Leaving his camp and baggage there, he set out after them and sighted the Sikhs after advancing two coasts. The Sikhs, ignorant of Najib's approach, had left their camp and were out plundering villages. On hearing the tramp of the Rohila cavalry and the roar of kettle drums, they retreated in bewilderment to their camp, but the Rohillas, by hard riding, overtook them and captured vast quantities of booty and animals. In the end, they crossed the Yamuna and went back to their own country. After the monsoon of 1766, Janda Singh Pangi and Ganda Singh Pangi once again attacked Multan and finding it hard to hold the hostile territory, fell back, extending their control to Pakpatan. In the eastern provinces, the British had strengthened their position considerably, defeating Shujaudola in the Battle of Buxar and receiving control of Bengal, Bihar, and Urissa from Shah Alam in return for an annual tribute of two and a half million rupees. Shah Alam, firmly a British client now, was at Allahabad under their protection, still nurturing hopes of a return to Delhi. Mir Qasim, the former governor of Bengal, had allied himself with Nawab Shuja Dola and had been on the losing side at the Battle of Buxar as well, after which the British had deposed him. Mir Qasim had been sending letters to Ahmed Shah Abdali, requesting his help in restoring him to the throne of Murshidabad, the capital of Bengal, which the British had usurped. 
Ahmed Shah Abdali crossed the Indus in November 1766 and swiftly dealt with the Sikh resistance that he encountered around Rotas. He held court at the Four Mehels and arrived at the outskirts of Lahore on December 21st. At the behest of the citizens of Lahore, he tried to formalize the governorship of Lena Singh Pangi, who refused, as it would have been a betrayal of his fellow Sikhs. Leaving his baggage in Lahore, Abdali went to Amritsar and leaving Jahan Khan there, proceeded to the Jalandar Dawab, facing constant harassment by the Sikhs. Dr. Ganta Singh quotes an unnamed news writer. The Sikhs allowed the Shah no rest even in the Jalandar Dawab. While his own army was constantly harried, his baggage was snatched away from the custody of Nasir Khan Baloch. 20,000 of the Sikhs fell upon him unawares and inflicted a defeat upon him in a pitched battle. They also waylaid a caravan of 300 camels laden with fruit and cut the Afghan escort to pieces. The Raja of Chamba had sent grain to the Shah's army when the Sikhs fell upon the convoy near Talapur and having slain the escort, plundered it. The British had been eyeing Ahmad Shah Abdali with some nervousness after the Battle of Panipat. Though they nominally supported Shah Alam, as did Ahmad Shah Abdali, they harbored designs on Delhi and they had started to view the Afghan king as a threat. Shah Alam was their virtual prisoner in Allahabad and Mir Qasim's invitation to Abdali to interfere in the affairs of Bengal and the presence of his agent at Abdali's camp alarmed them greatly. Ahmad Shah Abdali crossed the Sutlej in March 1767 and arrived at Ambala, having commanded his Hindustani allies to present themselves at his camp. Much to his irritation, the only one who showed up was Najib Khan Rohilla. The British had persuaded Nawab Shuja Uddala and Shah Alam to stay away and had tried to unite the Jats, Marathas and the rest of the Rohillas against Abdali. The chagrined amateur Abdali wanted to march upon Delhi, but the pleas of Najib Khan Rohila made him change his mind and he went back to Sarand, nominating Najib Khan's son Zabitha Khan as the governor of the province for a tribute of 200,000 rupees. Amar Singh, the grandson of the late Sardar Ala Singh and the master of Sarand was summoned to Abdali's camp and ordered to pay 900,000 rupees in delinquent taxes. When he was threatened by Najib Khan Rohila with imprisonment at his fort in Najibabad, his grandmother Fateh Kaur appealed to Abdali's wazir Shah Wali Khan, who intervened on Amar Singh's behalf. Under Shah Wali Khan's influence, Ahmad Shah Abdali once again confirmed Amr Singh, the master of Sarand, and bestowed upon him the title of Raja-e-Rajgan. Amr Singh was only too happy to submit to the Afghan king and struck coins in his name. After making a few more attempts to subdue the Sikhs in the Majja, Ahmad Shah Abdali returned home, this time by way of Multan, presumably to avoid being harried by the Sikhs. As soon as he was gone, the Sikh Sardars who ruled Lahore 
returned and took command of the capital again. Ahmad Shah Abdali made one final attempt to take Punjab back in 1769. He did not make it across the Chenab and was compelled to return because of dissension within his ranks. The iron grip of the Sikhs on Punjab seemed to be unbreakable. Mir Qasim and Najib Khan Rohilla kept petitioning Abdali to return to Hindustan. The former wanted his help against the British and the latter against the resurgent Marathas. The Shah, however, did not have an appetite left for adventures in the East. Sensing that his end was near, he anointed his second son, Taimur Shah, as his successor. His illness was getting worse. Writes Dr. Ganda Singh, In the summer of 1772, his disease reached such a fearful stage that it affected the upper part of his nose and nasopharynx. Maggots developed there, and they dropped into his mouth when he ate or drank. He could hardly eat anything without the help of spoons. All medical aid having failed, he retired to a palace at Toba Maruf in the Suleiman Hills, about 90 miles to the east of Kandahar. Ahmad Shah Abdali passed away on October 23, 1772. The Sikhs by then were the undisputed masters of the Punjab. Haridwar Karnal Lo Hansi Or Hansar Sarsa Or Firoz Pur Sarv Bangla Dhar Purv Dakhan Ye Lakho Uttar Disa Pahar Paschim Ki Dis Atak Lo Us Multan Urar Bhayo Raj Tab Panth Ka Etak Des Majhar Dilli Pat Ar Kabali Gaye Turk Sabhar from Haridwar to Karnal, Hansi and Hansar, Sirsa and Firozpur, Fazalka, Bangala, Far, East and South, these limits in the north, the mountains tall, Atak in the west is theirs, Multan too, theirs they call. Everywhere the Khalsas rule, these lands they call their own, beaten Turks of Delhi, Kabul, off the shackles thrown. The Story of the Six is written and narrated by Sarpreet Singh, author of Night of the Restless Spirits, a collection of short fiction that examines the tumultuous events of 1984 from many different angles. His previous book, The Camel Merchant of Philadelphia, tells the stories of many colorful characters who populated the court of Maharaja Ranjit Singh. The Story of the Six is produced by Almost Media. Our theme music is a rendition of a traditional Sikh hymn by the late Bai Avtar Singh. This episode features a rendition of Raga Marubihag on guitar by Ritom Sarkar. Tabla accompaniment is by Amit Kavtekar. Season 3 of Story of the Six is sponsored by the Chardi Kala Foundation, the Sawani Family Foundation, and Manpreet Kaur and Ishdeep Singh. I'm co-producer and audio engineer Erica Wong. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>